The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. And radical means that it's what we are on the inside. We talked about when you turn on a popcorn popper, once it gets to a certain temperature, what happens? It pops. What comes out of it? Popcorn. Why? Because it's... What? Boom. Because that's what was inside, right? Because I put that in there. Now, if I was to be a boy, and I put a little frog in there to see what would happen, and I plugged it in, guess what would probably jump out once it started to get warm? A prince. A frog would pop out pretty quick if he could find his way out, right? What happens when the heat turns on is that whatever is inside wants to come out. And so when we're talking about radical gratitude, radical generosity, the word radical literally means it's what we are on the inside. It's what we are to the core. If you have radical faith or a radical about a religion, radical about a certain type of politics, you can hold your, your tongue and your lips and just kind of be you, but when the heat gets turned up, all of a sudden you're going to start talking about or doing or living out what it is that's here. And that's what radical means. So when you go through a hard time, what comes out? Gratitude? Lord, thank you I'm going through this hard time, but you're with me. I thank you that that person over there still cares about me. And really expressing the depth that God's with you in the hard time. Or does negativity, and oh, it's another bad day. Does that come out? Well, generosity is the same thing. We're talking about radical generosity that comes out when I have a lot or else when I don't have much. Good times or bad times, generosity comes out. It's not just the stuff that falls off the top because everything's going so good. Boy, I would keep it all to myself, but there's so much good going on that just as I move around, some accidentally falls off. Otherwise, I wouldn't give any out. That's not generosity. It's not just overflow. It's actually an inner flow. It comes out from us. It pours through us. Because that's who we are. And so we know that the Bible talks about that we enter his presence, right, with thanksgiving, right? So we know that gratitude brings us into the presence of God. The Bible says that in his presence is fullness of joy. Why? Well, we know there's presence of joy because the Bible tells us that God is love. Not that he loves, although he does that, but it also tells us that he literally is love. And so when the heat got turned up and he's on the cross dying for our sins and everyone is against him, what came out when the heat was up was, Father, forgive them. He just kept loving. He just kept loving. He just kept loving. When he rose again in power and in might from the grave, he didn't come back and start slaying people. You know, he didn't go on a killing spree. I'm done, man. I'm back and I got power. You're all out. I saw your hearts and you were against me. But when the heat got turned up, his love increased. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace even more. God's grace pours out. Love continues to come out of his life and out of his heart because that's who he is. And so in his presence is joy. In his presence is love because that's who he is. And do you know what? Love gives. We started talking about this last week. That's what love does. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. And so love, by nature, wants to express itself through generosity. I would never walk up to Donnie and say, Donnie, I love you so much. I'm going to take your iPad. Right? That's not how it works. I love you so much. I'm taking this from you. 
You know, the guy that broke into Jesse's house and stole his Xbox probably wasn't motivated by love. He probably was sitting around and he wanted something for himself. But when you love somebody, your motivation is to go give to them. You know, we helped a couple families out this weekend. We helped one with furniture and things like that that people from the church gave. Furniture, clothes, pots, pans, things to get them on their feet. That was motivated by love. Love didn't go to them and say, well, I see you don't have much, but is there anything that you do have? Because we want it. Because love doesn't work like that. Love, by nature, gives. And that's who God is. We read last week, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in heaven with everything, is what it's talking about, it says, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Love motivated him to come and to give everything for us. Love gives. We also talked last week about, you know, does love really change anything? How important is it in the Bible? We went through a bunch of words. Wealth is mentioned in the Bible 117 times. I want to be wealthy. I want to have money. Okay, 117 times. Prayer. I want to pray. I want to be a great prayer. We should have more prayer meetings. We should pray more often. We should pray without ceasing. Well, prayer is mentioned 121 times. Grace, 131 times. Believe, 160 times. Faith. These are all important words as a, as a Christian, right? Faith. 270, sin, 474, heart, my heart, where Jesus lived, 577, Jesus, not much more in the Bible that could be significant and more important than that, right? Check this out, 1,273 times, give, the word that means give, 1,981 times in the Bible. That's more than most of those words combined. Why? Why does that keep coming up? It's not because God just wants to keep taking offerings. There's a lot of things to give besides money. But what God's trying to do is trying to separate us from the desire to be self-focused. And he wants to move us into a place of love. And love is looking outward at how it can impact the lives of others in a positive way. Can I be a blessing? Can I help them? talked a little bit earlier about a light. It's not looking all the time and saying, I got a sore, can you shine the light over here? And you might have a sore. But saying, I got a sore, but somebody else might be missing an arm right now. Can you shine the light out there? Is there anybody that needs help? Love looks outward. It wants to give. It wants to help. It wants to restore. It wants to be generous. And so God is constantly taking us back to give because it's through giving that he separates us from ourselves enough to receive who he is in order to become lovers of him and lovers of people. God wants us to be radically generous in our lives. This all sounds good, but we've got to live it out. That's a lot different, right? We all want to be generous. Remember when I used to do sales, um, it, I, everybody wants to sell. Man, you go in that motivational meeting, it's like, oh, we're going to sell, we're going to make so much money. What's your goal? I remember being in one meeting, what's your goal? Set it higher than you ever dreamed. Now cross it out and make it twice as much. Oh, gosh. And then the next thing they say is, here's the work you have to do to get there. Now that's where it separates from people that really want to do it and people that don't. Because now Monday morning comes up and you've got to actually go out and try to do the sales. And you go out motivated, you knock on one door, no. Knock on the next door, no. Uh, 
almost knock on the third door, and then you go home. You say, man, I tried really hard. Living things out and doing things is much harder than hearing about them, than writing them down and thinking about them. Well, so is giving, and there's some hindrances that keep us from being generous. So I'm going to go over a few of those today and just talk about ones that I think are pretty typical. One is selfishness. That's the first one. I don't give. There's a lot of mystical and theological and esoterical reasons that I don't give. And then there's also just because I'm selfish. And the reason that I didn't even tell you that some of Nicole's cinnamon rolls were in my house is because I didn't want to share them. And I can justify it by saying I wanted you to be healthy. I really am not selfish. I wanted you to live longer because I'm going to get fat and I'm going to eat sugar and I'm going to do this. And I got all these reasons that I paint. But here's the truth. I just wanted them. That's it. Selfishness is a, is a big motivator. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on there because I'm sure that you are all well aware that you know someone who's selfish. And you've seen them. Don't point them out. Okay, but that's one. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, You may say in your heart, The power and the strength of my hands have made this wealth for me. But remember that it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Selfishness is, it's mine. I earned it. I deserve it. I should have it. And this verse says, It's not from you, but God gave you the ability and the power to do that. Right? It's meant to separate us from selfishness. Well, I, it's me. I worked hard for this money. You know, I worked hard to have this free time. And I deserve my Saturday. Okay. But this is saying that God gives us these things. God gives us the power to have things. I worked hard to be a better person. And so I don't need to give that person my time. They're not doing much with their life. Did you? I'm sure you did. But how much of that came from just God's goodness and God's grace? The Bible says that it's him that works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. God changes our heart. God helps us. I stop drinking. I'm not going to help a drunk. Praise God that he helped me stop drinking because otherwise I would still be drinking right now. It's a process that God takes us through. It's not just from us. God changes us. And so selfishness says it's me, it's mine, I, I earned it, I want it, I should have it. It's not for you. But God says, no, I helped you. I helped you the whole time. It's not from you. That's meant to break us. The second thing is a critical view of others. They don't deserve it. They do not deserve it. I'd help them, but they don't deserve it. I can see that they can't pay their rent, and their family's going to end up on the street, and you know what? And they should because I saw that they made a bad financial decision four months ago. And I knew four months ago that they were going to end up here. So I might go over and help move their stuff out on the curb, because I like to help people. I know some of you have felt that way. You go to help somebody in need, and you're like, man, they're just stupid. Why would I help them? I'm throwing good money after bad. I'm not going to help them. Well, here's a good verse for that. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ loved us enough and died for us and gave his life and the most precious things of heaven for us when, when we were sinners and we were throwing everything away and our decisions right up to the last second of putting him on a cross were bad choices. 
He still loved us. He still gave to us. He still helped us. But it's easy to become cynical. It's easy to become hard-hearted. Trust me, I've been doing this 20 years. And I have helped a lot of people that didn't do much with the help they got, from what I can see. Some of those people I haven't seen for a long time, and I have no idea what impact maybe it's eventually had on their life. The Bible says one plants, one waters, but God causes the increase. In other words, my job is not to cause a result. My job is to sow seed. My job is to pour out love, to help, to give, to benefit. Now, if somebody needs some counsel and some help and how they use their finances or how they do things, okay. But my heart shouldn't become hard or cynical where I'm not going to help them because they're worthless. They're dumb. Let them rot. They're crazy. Because thank God people continue to help me out and get on my feet and move forward. And we got to remember where we came from, not just where we are. Because that should motivate us to look at other people and say, man, if there was hope for me, there's hope for them. Because I needed it. And God wants to work through us that way. But we cannot become cynical. We have to remember where we came from, not just in finances, but in forgiveness. We talk about that forgiving is giving. It's giving grace to someone. It's giving another chance to someone. It's loving someone else. The Bible talks about how often we're supposed to forgive and that we're supposed to give this out. Well, they don't deserve it because I've forgiven them before. Now, I will say there's a difference between forgiveness and submitting yourself back to a, a, a repeated abuse, right? I can forgive someone, let go, and give that to God. It doesn't mean I have to constantly put myself in a situation to be abused by them in whatever way. But my heart needs to let that go. I need to continue to love them, to pray for them, pray for those who persecute you, pray for your enemies, bless those people. That's what the Bible tells us to do. That's what Jesus did. And so maybe they don't deserve it. But neither did we, so we do it like Christ. Number three is that it's pointless. People's needs are too big, and what I have won't make a difference. won't change anything. So what's the point? Right? It's already done. Like, I, I could give everything I have. It ain't going to change much. You know, I work at these apartments at this after-school program. We don't have a lot of uh, finances for that, and the kids don't have anything. And one thing that they love is, pop, is popcorn. And they always ask for hot cocoa. And there's all these crafts we want to do, and I read through them, and some of them are like, you got to boil water, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. And some of those things we don't have, so eventually we save up, we get things, and we have gotten some things. Um, and so we just try to work on that. Well, somebody gave us a hot water pot this last week. It's a little, it looks like a little coffee pot thing, those Instapots or whatever, you plug it in, boom, the water gets hot. So that we could make homemade Play-Doh. That pot wasn't even being used. It's dusty and dirty and sitting in a storage. And moving from there into a new location turned it from an old, dusty thing that didn't matter much into something that fills a room with 30 kids that are laughing and playing and goofing around and making a mess and getting to know people and talking and being encouraged by adults that care about them and being loved on. Why? From just a little piece of junk that would have been dropped at a Goodwill or thrown away or sold for a bucket of garage sale. And we say, well, but what I have won't make a difference. In God's hands, what we have makes all the difference. It can matter. It can change someone's life. It can bring someone hope. Just that little bit of a thing. Here's a verse. This is Jesus. 
He said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous. It's talking about people that are following God, that have faith, that believe. And it says, They'll answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you or see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Jesus says, you did all these things for me. And they're like, when did that happen? Here's his answer. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Not what you did for one of the most, the best, the one who changed and made a difference, we're talking about the least. The one who may never change and may never make a difference. The one whose life might never get better. The one who might never stop being an addict. The one who might never become a better person that gives back to society. The one who might stay in jail. But you did it unto me. See, here's the a, here's a difference in how God thinks versus how we think. When someone did for others and were, they were generous, God said, that was for me. God is blessed by others being blessed. That's what God's trying to separate us from ourselves long enough to learn. That, you know what, you can be blessed and experience joy and satisfaction and contentment, not because you have, but because you see others have. That's a totally different way than how we live. Naturally. It's a miracle. It's a literal miracle to be able to do that. To be able to live that out and just have joy because of others. Someone else gets a promotion. Man, that's awesome. Not just saying it, but feeling it. You're working hard at sales, and the person next to you gets a sale. Oh. But actually being excited. Man, that's awesome. I know your family needs that too. This ability to feel satisfaction as if it was done to us when really it was done to somebody else. That's what a heart of a believer should be like. And people should look at us and say, what is that about? That is radical. That is so different than how we live. Well, that's the light of Jesus shining in me. That's the light of Jesus that's shining right here in my heart. And it comes through me. That's what God wants to do. What we do does make a difference. Even if it's small, God can use it. Another one is personal poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 through 5. It says, In the midst of a very severe trial, it's talking about a small church back in the early days of Christianity, after Jesus had risen, it says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, this is what's going on. They have joy and extreme poverty at the same time. Aren't those awesome times? That extreme poverty time? Has anybody ever gone through that when you're just sitting around the house, you're just cracking up? You're just laughing. Kids are having a great time. They're like, hey, Dad, can I get that new game? <laughs> are you kidding me? I got nothing. <laughs> we can't even eat. This is great. And at first it's fun because you're losing weight. <laughs> and then you're actually, like, dying. You're starving. You got no food. It's not that joyful. But it was joyful for them. Why? I'll tell you why. It, it tells us. It says they're overflowing with joy and their extreme poverty welled up rich generosity. 
instead of succumbing to this wave of darkness and despair, they came up under the wave and they took the little they had and they said, we're going to be generous. And the Spirit and the presence of God came upon them and joy filled their life because they didn't allow themselves to get swallowed by the wave of despair and selfishness and self-protection and fear and anxiety and all the things that come when you don't have money. I told this story before, but years ago, my wife and I were going through a time where we, I mean, not years ago, we, but this time was unique because there's been other times, <laughs> plenty. But this story was years ago. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any food. Invited some friends over. Come on over, bring your, bring your kids. We're going to have dinner tonight. Guy from work. And he says, okay. I go home to my wife. I said, hey, we got these guys coming over. And she goes, okay, what are we going to feed them? I said, we'll just feed them. She said, we don't have any food. I said, well, sure we do. No, we don't. You're dramatic. Okay, look in the fridge. No, because we don't have any food. I have a plate of a little bit of ketchup, half a thing of relish. Like, we don't have any food. Well, in the freezer was a bag of chicken. I said, well, we got that. We'll cook that. We'll serve them chicken. And she's like, okay. And a little bit later in the day, I get a text. FYI, we're out of toilet paper. I don't have money to get toilet paper. We don't have credit to get toilet paper. So they can come over, but if they have to go to the bathroom, we're in trouble. Okay. I'm trying to think of what to do. About an hour later, friend texts me, hey, is there anything we can bring? True story. I text him back. I said, well, if you're going to use the bathroom, you could bring some toilet paper because <laughs> we are out and I don't have money to get it. And his response, because they were going through a hard time too, his response was, you mean you're having our family over and all of my teenagers to eat and you don't have money for toilet paper? I'm like, man, that's God's love. That's what we do. Is it easy to do? No, but I'll tell you what. We laughed, and we had joy, and we still, to this day, would talk about the toilet paper and the chicken. Why? Because in a situation where the wave wanted to swallow us up, we ducked up underneath it, broke through the other side, and said, we're still here, and we're still giving. Praise God. That's who we are. It's radical. It's on the inside. When the heat turns up, guess what comes out? Generosity, not because of us, because it's Christ living in us. And it's how he lives. It's love. Love gives. It doesn't just give when it has. It gives when it doesn't, and it gives anyways. It trusts. It gives out. That's the situation that we went through. I knew a lady that gave, and she said, I don't have anything. She goes, can I bring a, a box of meat? Where are you getting a box of meat? She took her food stamp food, had nothing else, and she said, I want to bring this, and I want to give it to somebody because I heard that they have a need. She gave it. When I was in Africa, people brought animals, literally to this like 10-hour church service. Praise God, you don't live in Africa, man. It was wild and long and hot. But they brought animals out. Somebody brought a rooster, tied it up around its feet, laid it at the front of the church. Here's, here's a rooster. And the whole service, man, that thing was jerking and twitching and making noises through the little tape they had on its beak. <laughs> About halfway through the message, it finally broke its feet free. 
And the whole rest of the part of the message was guys chasing this thing around the whole church trying to catch that thing, and it was on the run. It did not want to be given. He was a selfish little rooster. It wanted to be free. It was only thinking about itself, not about the family that needed to eat it. But you can give even when you don't have, and you think, well, then I won't have even more. You're already suffering. Well, it's easy for you to say, Pastor, that's awfully rude. Now, we've been in places where we're giving Christmas presents because of giving plasma to get the money to give Christmas presents. We've had nothing, and we give. I've known people the same, and I've known people that have everything and don't give, and I've watched them be miserable and upset and uptight and frustrated and full of anxiety because they think they have stuff, but stuff has them. And it's suffocating our life and making our life small. God's called us to be generous. Another one is that we distrust people. Here's a verse in 2 Corinthians that he's talking to the early church. It's the same church that's welling up generosity to give, and apparently there's some suspicion or worry that the money won't be handled well. Because if you read the rest of the passage, he says, what's more, they're talking about a guy that was brought to help usher this offering out. He says, what's more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show your eagerness to help. He says, we want to avoid any criticism. So obviously criticism was, uh, was there and available, or he wouldn't have brought this up. Of the way that we administer this liberal gift, where we're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. So let me say this. Giving to organizations, to churches, to pastors, to people, if you do that, at times you will give and find out that they didn't do something good with it. Either they just used it poorly and they still ended up on the street, and you're like, oh, that was a waste of everybody's money, or they used it to buy really nice shoes and a great jacket and a beautiful car, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm still riding this bike. That will happen because we're dealing with people. And there's a choice of becoming cynical or not. I would just tell you as a pastor, if that has happened to you from a church or from a pastor, I ask your forgiveness on behalf of, of, of all of us because that's real. We work hard to take what comes in and to try to use it well, but that's not always the case. Some people use it just to get rich. Some people fly nice jets. They do whatever with it, not because they need it, but because they can. So we have accountability. We have a board. We try to take care of things. But if you're even de dealing with people, organizations, even outside of church, it doesn't matter. There'll be times where it gets misused or taken advantage of you. are like, what just happened? Yeah, no, God sees the heart of the giving. Not just the gift. So when you give, God looks and says the heart. When Jesus tells a story about this little old lady that came, she put her last little bit of money in an offering, and there was the rich people that gave, and he says she gave more even though it was less. But it was her heart. And the amount in relation to how it affected her life, the sacrifice, she gave it. The Bible never tells us what happened with the money. It doesn't say it was used well. It doesn't say it accomplished anything good. It could have been picked up by a bad priest and gone out, and he could have just partied with it. Who knows? For that person, all God cared about was their heart and what they're doing. And we're not talking about whether you put something in our blue and white basket. Forget about that. We're talking about a neighbor that you see that's in need. We're talking about somebody who is struggling, hoping for forgiveness, and you haven't been able to forgive them for 20 years. 
and they're just hoping for forgiveness someday. To be able to open up your heart and say, you know what, I forgive you. I'm not going to give them that satisfaction. They'll misuse it. We're talking about a full generousness of heart. I'm not going to give them my time. It's a whole generousness of heart that God wants us to come to. Where we can give, even though sometimes it may be, bes- be misused because we're giving of ourselves to God. And the last one is a distrust of God himself. We don't trust that God will actually take care of us. We don't trust that if I forgive that God will actually protect me or watch over me or watch over my heart or help me to heal from the pain. We don't trust that if I give financially that God will take care of my finances. If I give my time that God will help me to be refreshed even though Proverbs says that those who water others will be watered. Those who refresh others will be refreshed. But somehow in my mind if I give my time I'm going to be more tired, more exhausted, more worn out so I can't help that person. So I don't trust God that he'll actually refresh and build me up but I do trust Netflix that it will refresh and build me up. Because if I go do that for eight hours, I'm going to feel a lot better. But if I go give three hours to this, I don't trust that God can actually refresh and build me up. I can get refreshed by Game of Thrones, but not by the kingdom that's on the throne. He's the one that wants to build me. He's the one that wants to fill me. If I go do what he said first, take my time to water and refresh others. He's going to take his time to water and refresh me. It's this idea of generosity, but we have to trust God that God will honor his side. Otherwise, it becomes hard to do. It's continue to trust him, even if we don't see the return right away. Well, I blessed that person yesterday, and I don't feel great today. We're planting, we're sowing, there's growth. Some things happen fast and grow quick, some things grow slow, but the point is that God's going to grow it back into our lives, and we're trusting him that he's got it under control. All of these things have one thing in common, and that's Fear. Now check this out, fear that I won't get what I deserve. That's the selfishness. Fear that they'll get something that they don't deserve. Right? That's when we get cynical of others. Fear that it won't make a difference. Fear that I won't have what I need. Fear that people will misuse it. And fear that God won't come through. All these things are rooted in this kind of internal fear. That's really what's driving all of that. Fear kept the Israelites from entering the promised land in the Bible. First time they went, they said, the giants are too big, and we're like grasshoppers. And the Bible says, as they said it, and as they thought it, so they were. They let fear take over their life. They were too small to go take over the promise of God. But faith brought the walls down when they marched around Jericho and believed God. Fear kept an army from defeating Goliath, but faith brought that same giant down by the hand of just one youth. The difference between fear and faith. Fear nearly drowned Peter in a storm. Bible tells us that faith helped him to walk on the water with Jesus. And we often think about Peter. There's a story in the Bible of Peter, and Jesus is out on the water in a storm, and Peter's on a boat, and Jesus is standing on the water, and he puts his hand out, and he says, come to me. Peter jumps out of the boat and starts walking. And then he looks around, and he realizes he's in this storm, and he looks down, I shouldn't be walking out here, and he just goes under. And Jesus saves him. And we focus on the failure of Peter's faith, rather than focus on the fact that he's the only one that got out of the boat. And he jumped out, and faith got him on that water. I'll tell you what, man, if it was only for three seconds, I'd love to say, you know, I walked on the water once with Jesus. If you want to focus on the fact that I went under halfway through, fine. But I've walked on water. 
Sometimes people will look at you and you had great faith and you were doing something well and all of a sudden you had a struggle and a slip. And you had to reach out and grab and Jesus had to pull you back up and all they want to talk about is how you lost faith for a little bit. Now hold on to the fact that, man, I had faith and then God reached out and helped me with the rest. I just started working my way there. But faith will do that if we can let go of fear. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Other translations, sound mind is self-discipline. So he's given us the ability to be self-disciplined. I'm not giving into those things of fear, but I'm walking in the power of God, the love of God, and I'm using self-discipline to live out the call of God on my life and what he wants me to do. He wants me to be generous. Self-discipline is helping me be generous. Why do you need self-discipline? Because I don't feel like doing that. That's the only reason. I've never had to use self-discipline to eat an ice cream. I love ice cream. But the bowl there, there's no like, okay. <sighs> How long do I have? 30 minutes? Can I have 40? This is going to be a hard deal. I'm going to eat the ice cream. Don't bother me. I'm trying to get this down, okay? You need self-discipline when it's something you don't want to do. Not a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind of self-discipline. I can make the choice to do this outside of fear and I choose to forgive I choose to invest my time in others I choose to take money out of my pocket and put it into the ministry of others I choose to walk this way and to be generous that's what it's talking about the Bible says perfect love even casts out fear so when God's love comes in it casts fear out and end with this we talked about gratitude last month now we're thinking of the path here how it all connects gratitude we enter the Lord's presence with thanksgiving and with praise that brings us into his presence. And his presence is fullness of joy. Why? Because God is love. In the presence of God's love, there's joy. What's being expressed in that environment, in that presence? Generosity. God's giving us of his love. He's giving us of his peace. He's giving us of everything he has. And as long as we can stay in the flow of that and be generous ourselves, that flow keeps going. And joy abounds there. There's joy everywhere. There's joy happening. There's joy going on. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, Lord, you have a call on our lives. Lord, to do something that is not natural because it's supernatural. Lord, you are generous. You are full of love. God, you are a giver. God, help us to be able to receive that and to abandon fear Lord, to run with faith and to become so generous in our lives, God, that it causes others to look at us and say, wow, that is radical, that is different. What is that about? Lord, they would open up, Lord, just as that last verse had said, God, that they may see our good works, Lord, see our generosity, see the things we're doing, and glorify you, our Father in heaven. Lord, help us to do that. God, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I just challenge you guys, let your, let your light shine this week. Find a way to be generous. Look for it. Open your eyes. Lift up your eyes. The fields are white with harvest, the Bible says. Look for opportunities to be a blessing. Out here, there's food, there's drinks and stuff, there's friends. Stick around if you're new. Don't take off. Community is part of what God wants to build. Get to know somebody. Let people love on you. Make some friends. Amen.
The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free.